0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I think when it comes to building a winner in college football, some of this is about science and some of this is more of an art. You know, the science is... You got to have great players, and you've got to have a proven system for attracting those players. How you stay in contact with them, how you make your pitch to them—like the recruiting—is the name of the game. Everything about the way in which the coaching carousel is spinning right now is all related to recruiting. Uh, we just kind of understand that—that's the science of college football. That that there is a certain caliber of athlete you have to have, and there is a certain mechanism for how you attract those athletes. The best programs figure this out. The mediocre to midland programs kind of somehow don't figure that out, and that's the clear difference in college football. However, let's talk for a moment about the programs that are exclusively in the category of elite talent, the kinds of programs that can win a national championship. Let's just put all of those in the same category for a moment. I think when you get into that exclusive category alone i think it becomes college football a little bit less about the science of hey you got to attract the elite talent that's the end all be all that's been proven over and over again to now you bring some of the art into it where different coaches are going to have a different spin on how they get their teams ready to play and some of this is from an x and no standpoint some of this is you know kind of, kind of related to that scheme and whatnot but some of this is also just related to motivation. And I've always felt like that Georgia coach Kirby Smart was really good at kind of what I think of as the invisible part of college football, that, that he just seems to know how to, how to motivate his team. He seems to know what they need at any given moment. And Smart said this a million times before. You, you know you can't always be fully like redline like the great speech that he gave at halftime of the Florida game that became a leaked audio clip that so many folks have heard and it's kind of funny because Smart's you know almost cartoonishly profane in the uh, in the in the in the clip that was shared but it's also like this incredibly intense like twelve on a scale of one to ten level uh, of intensity and Smart found that and, and and used that at halftime of a big rivalry game but you can't be that way all the time. We kind of understand that. We talked to John Stinchko about this yesterday. and I thought John had some really interesting things to say about that, about kind of how you, you approach the, the the level of motivation that you need for your team going to a game like the one that George is going to play on Saturday. Now, conversely, the same thing's kind of true for Alabama coach Nick Saban there as well. Now, Saban is also one of these famously intense guys, whether Kirby Smart learned that from Nick Saban or whether Nick Saban was attracted to Kirby Smart because he also genuinely had some of that. We know that those times spent around Alabama when Nick Saban had Kirby Smart as his defensive coordinator, this was a very intense time for the Alabama program. Our buddy Mike Johnson, the former Alabama All-American that for years I worked with on SEC Country Live, who by the way is going to be with us on SEC Country Live for the full show tomorrow. He's talked about that, those private behind-the-scenes stories of just how intense it was being around uh, Nick Saban that was the level of motivation that that he chose to employ he selected the kind of players that could handle that intensity and he pushed them to be even more intense than they thought they could possibly be and that was just the way that Alabama achieved success however I think you can't help but notice going into this year's SEC championship that the two coaches that are going to coach in this game Kirby Smart on the Georgia side Nick Saban on the Alabama side I think you can't help but notice that right now they are taking very different approaches to the game. One of the things that made me realize this was, so on Saturday... George George Tech concluded we did the postgame show and then we were getting out of there and yeah I'm pretty tired usually on Saturday afternoons a lot of folks you know kind of are and so I'm getting ready to head home but then my wife said that she and the kids were going to be doing something so the house was kind of empty and so I thought well I'm hungry this Iron Bowl game is going on so let me swing into a restaurant and let me you know get a little bit of eat and I'll watch the end of the Iron Bowl And so I did and you know obviously it was a thrilling game I was really entertained by it but then at the end so Nick Saban gets interviewed by Jamie Erdahl the C- uh, CBS sideline reporter and it was really amazing to see that interview about how happy Nick Saban was. And I oh, just so thrilled. And you know, to a lot of people, his team had eked out a win against an Auburn team that had been blown out by Georgia and was had just lost the previous week to South Carolina. But Saban just had this big smile on his face. Now, it's almost like a bigger smile you would have seen on his face than some of the championship type wins that Saban would have gotten in previous years. And when you really think about that and you put that into the, to the rest of the context of some of the things that Saban's been saying lately... I think you see a a really different version of his motivational ploys for his team right now compared to the way that Georgia Coach Kirby Smart is motivating his team ahead of its also attempt at a championship run here. And it's not you know, it's not possible to know right now which of these two tacks is gonna end up being the most successful, which is gonna result in a win on Saturday, nor is it obvious that one of these motivational ploys will necessarily be the reason why one of these teams you know, wins or loses coming up on Saturday. But nonetheless, it is still remarkable how different both these coaches are talking about their team right now. Now I could have played five minutes worth of clips for you on this, but in, in a way of kind of like trying to back up the point I'm making, I selected a handful here. This is about what, forty-five seconds or so of a little bit of SMART and a little bit of Saban, here's what you're gonna hear when you hear this. Smart, the hard driving coach pushing for more and more success, putting a very high standard uh, up for his team and talking about all the ways in which even in the midst of blowout wins and dominant season in Smart's eyes they're not achieving that the players themselves apparently agreeing with Kirby Smart whereas Nick Saban's just passing out gold stars all over the place participation trophies left and right and as I said before you know, I don't want to make too much out of small clips, but it is really pretty amazing how different all of this is right now. So here's a montage of the two coaches combined together. This all within the last really, you know, three or so weeks. Uh, take a listen to these two coaches, Kirby and Saban, right now. I thought we started out kind of sloppy today. A um, little bit of a lack of focus early, especially on defense. You could say it's not fair to our players that they get everybody's best game. All right, but they do. You know, offensively it took us a while to get going i mean do you want me to be critical of my team because we had to pump once in the first quarter and they got a field goal can't do that and be a good defense um can't be selfish now, i'm not going to be critical of anything that our players did when we win 59-3 to we go back to the state we'll find guys that maybe didn't do their job when i came here everybody was happy to win a game all right now we're not happy to win a game anymore we're not happy to win a game at all all right we think we should win games by whatever and I don't think that's fair to the players either. It was addressed in the locker room after the game, and uh, some of those guys stood up and didn't feel like it was our best effort. I mean, can you make, I mean, isn't that a remarkable, isn't it a remarkable contrast here for a moment that, that, you know Kirby Smart, and a lot of that was taken from the Missouri game where Georgia won like forty something to six, whatever the final score was that, that that day. And Kirby Smart talking about the players not feeling like the defense was up to the standard, uh, that the offense started out a little sloppy, and and on and on you go there. And what has been a series of blowout wins, uh, Kirby Smart has talked openly about the need to achieve that standard regardless of what the score is, and regardless of uh, of what of you know what's happening there with his team. Whereas conversely, you know Nick Saban after was it New Mexico State they played the other day, where it's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm not going to complain about our team just because we had to punt once, or I'm not going to tell these guys that uh, they did something bad in the game that we won easily, or the the rant before uh, Thanksgiving with his coach's show where he was talking about how you know basically self absorbed the Alabama fans have gotten. I mean, I think that's really interesting, and I think to the person that doesn't follow college football all that closely, I think one of the things you might take from that is well, maybe Nick Saban really likes his team right now. Maybe Kirby Smart's trying to, trying to you know, push his team e- even harder. But the folks who are really paying close attention to this, I think, no, the opposite is true. I think Kirby Smart is having a blast coaching his team right now. I think that Kirby Smart is enjoying every minute of this. You know, Smart really is like Saban and that they are process-oriented people. They're not results-oriented people. That they really do enjoy the day-to-day grind. And there's so many moments during this season where, where Kirby has talked openly about the way in which the leaders are setting the standard and and you know, just, just things like that that lead you to believe that he really is enjoying all of this, that everything he's asking this team to do, they are responding to it immediately and they are pushing them Themselves to be uh, from an intrinsic standpoint as good as smart wants them to be as a kind of an exterior form of motivation it seems pretty obvious that this team is in sync with all of that what kirby wants from them what the players want from themselves and it's easier to imagine the players the coaches themselves are very much enjoying this right now but doesn't nick saban sort of sound a little bit more detached and listen this is not my way of saying, and this just goes to show you that, that it's going to be easy for Georgia on Saturday in the SEC championship. We'll talk more about that in a moment, that, that no, I don't quite think it's necessarily going to be easy no matter what. But one of the reasons why a lot of Georgia fans do feel confident going into Saturday, one of the reasons why a lot of Georgia fans do believe that this is the year in which Georgia gets over that Alabama hump and goes on its way towards winning a national championship is the level of resignation they kind of hear in Nick Saban's voice there. You know, this is a team that's just simply not responding to his message very well. The, the, the way in which we've seen in the past, you know, Alabama kind of plays that September game sometimes a little closer than it's supposed to be. Nick Saban flips out about that and they go on this big run. That never happened this year. You know, we talked about this back when Alabama played Florida. I said, listen, this is around the spot every year when Alabama plays a game a little closer than it's supposed to be. Would not surprise me if the Florida game was that. Well, guess what it was? But what did surprise me was in the aftermath of that, on the heels of that, there was no flip of the switch. I mean, look at the common common opponents here. Look at the way in which Alabama played Florida closely. Georgia blew them out. Alabama played uh, Arkansas closely. Georgia shut them out. Uh, You know, the Auburn game, the the other example of that the Tennessee game was a little bit of a wash you know there for both sides but the point here is is that way in which that that Kirby Smart has seen his team respond to the high standard that he wants to set for the program I think Nick Saban knows this Alabama team is just simply not capable of doing that and so he's turned his attention to being like the most positive version of himself he can possibly be. And is there a chance that works on Saturday, making them relaxed, telling them to go out there and have fun and just enjoy it and not take it too seriously or whatever it is he's saying? Yeah, there's a chance that probably works. I mean, you know, that's a motivational ploy that could work. Taking a team that's, you know, a little substandard compared to Alabama's past and just telling them to relax and make the most of the moment, there's a chance that that works. But this is not the way Nick Saban wants to coach. This is not the kind of team he wants to coach. We said this yesterday that Nick Saban made a lot of deals to get the explosive offense he's enjoyed the last couple of years. There is no free lunch in life. That When you get better in one area, you are taking focus away from another area, and there's going to be some erosion there. So yeah, Nick, uh, Nick Saban's had the great wide receivers. He had the great quarterback play. He's had all of that. He's had the explosive offense. But there is a trade-off for that. Somehow, some way, every team that's tried this, every team that's moved in that direction has seen a loss of physicality. They've seen a loss of that intense edge for the program. And Alabama doesn't have it. They don't have it in the offensive line right now, don't have it in the running game, don't have it in the defense. And so all of a sudden now, when you want to push your team to go out there and finally dominate an opponent, this Alabama team hasn't been capable of doing that. So as I said before, I don't know what it means for Saturday's game. I think it's still tough for Georgia against Alabama, but there's a reason that Georgia fans are confident. It's the way both these coaches are talking about their teams that adds to that confidence. Kirby feels good enough about his team that he can push them harder and harder and harder, even when they're blowing teams out, because he thinks they can handle it. Nick Saban also talks to his team the way in which he thinks they can handle it there as well. And the fact that he's kind of gone a little soft, the fact that he's kind of gotten a little bit of a kinder version of himself here late in his career. I think that tells you what he thinks Alabama can handle and that is also I believe a clue for how this game's going to turn out on Saturday. My name's Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Hello to you and thanks for being with us no matter how you get to us today and a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making this show possible. It's 945 for our first in 15 which starts on dognation.com or the Dog Nation app or on video at 10, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all those video platforms. Radio Noon, App and Sports Radio 960, The RAF Podcast, and all the various podcast players, the Apple player, Spotify, all those terrific uh, podcast platforms there as well. Just really appreciate you being a part of it today. And as we said before, it would not be possible. This great studio, these technological things that allow us to reach so many people. We couldn't do it without our friends at ESOG. Engineered Solutions of Georgia, the ones you turn to for your foundation and waterproofing issues. And listen, as a homeowner, those are serious things to consider because it's the kind of thing that when you see that first sign of damage, you know that there's even more damage potentially on the rise in there. And that's why I invite you to check out Engineered Solutions of Georgia today. First of all, they're proud partners of UGA, and it's always fun to do business with those that support the dogs. We encourage you to do that. But also, they've been a long time friends of ours here at dog nation daily there as well and certainly i want to offer a sincere thanks to all of you that support folks like esog that help us keep the lights on here around dog nation daily there too and the other thing about esog is these are smart people solutions based company when it comes to problems you may have with your foundation waterproofing you know engineered solutions has two full-time engineers on staff so they understand how all of this stuff potentially impacts the structural integrity of your home So make a smart decision. Reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. They've made it very easy for you to do so. Simply dial this number, 678 ESOG Now. That's right. Dial 678 ESOG Now, and that'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We've got a lot to do today on the program. Let me also make you aware of this. We're just a couple of days away from the big Chase for the Championship event taking place at the Marlows in Brookhaven at 6 p.m. on Thursday. This is going to be a huge event because it's our first time back at Marlow's Tavern in quite some time. Uh Jeff is going to be there. Connor Riley's going to be there. Our buddy John Stinchcombe is is going to be there i'm going to be there but most importantly you have a chance to be there as well so we invite you to do that 6 p.m marlowe's in brookhaven uh we're going to have great chef inspired food all the delicious uh you know craft cocktails and all the things like that, that they're making for you our friends at classic city lager are going to be on hand there as well so that's going to be flowing there on thursday night it's just going to be a great time we'll do kind of an off-air meet and greet q a where you know we'll talk about some of the inside stuff for the sec championship some recruiting stuff going on there as well and then obviously we'll be live broadcast there too which you can be a part of and we're certainly glad to have you with us as we do that so it all goes down Marlow's in brookhaven on thursday 6 p.m Marlow's in brookhaven on uh thursday and check out marlowe's for more information uh, including uh, how you can be there but Marlow's in brookhaven on thursday 6 p.m for all of that all right so it's Connor Riley coming up. We'll do a Kroger fresh date with him. We'll talk a lot more about uh everything in the lead up to the SEC championship big big day coming up the dogs on Saturday. It's a game that admittedly i'm you know I feel good about uh, on the Georgia side of this, and I am a Georgia fan. I do the show from the perspective of a Georgia fan, but I guess there is one thing that I'm going to stop short of saying in fact, I want to make that the subject of around the dog House presented today by Georgia's own credit union before we get to Connor Riley here in a moment so here is the way that sports media works and this is true for like you know podcast streaming internet old school media you know kind of whatever you want to get to that there is such a need for content leading into a big game like saturday that it can be pretty easy to feel like middle of the week that pretty much everything that can be said as has that needs to be said has already been said so folks are going to kind of weigh in on the georgia alabama thing like i've heard some alabama predictions i haven't heard a lot of alabama predictions and you know do with that what you will but i am hearing a lot of folks picking the dogs and so at a certain point for the content creators out there whether it be you know podcast host streaming video host social media gadfly whatever else there's this need to kind of up the ante on that where hey i no longer get attention for simply picking georgia to win now i've got to pick georgia to win by a wide margin now that's what i've got to do and look there's a chance on saturday that georgia does win this game by a wide margin georgia's clearly on a week-to-week basis been much better than alabama all season long but the one thing that i'm not going to do this week is I'm not going to pick Georgia to win this game in some sort of blowout fashion, even though they might do it. I'm not going to do that. Here's one of the things that does matter to me that I think when you look at a long-standing precedent on something, I think you're left to conclude that it must mean something. And one of the things that we just don't really see much of is, I mean, Alabama occasionally loses. But the one thing I think you have to say is, is they don't lose by double-digit points very frequently, and that's at least worth considering. For instance, you know this year they lost to Texas A&M, but they only lost by three points. You know, didn't lose it all in 2020, but go back to 2019, a year in which they lost a Auburn by three points lost to lsu by five points like the one blowout game that you kind of point to is when they lost the uh, national championship game in 2018 uh to clemson lost that game by 29 points that's like the one blowout that alabama uh, kind of has on its resume you know in the nick saban era year before that in uh, 2017 but to auburn by 12 points but you're talking about two losses of 10 or more points in what 17 18 19 20 21 in the last five years you know you know two losses of uh uh, of ten or more points in the last five years you want to go back and look at 2016 for a moment uh same thing's kind of true there you know this is a team that's just kind of rolling right through the regular season you know they did uh did lose the national championship game to Clemson that year but only lost by four points Now you're talking about two double digit point losses in the last you know six years. go back to 2015 here for a moment um you know they lost uh by about a touchdown to Ole miss there in uh 2015. Um, didn't lose again the rest of the season. Now you're talking about two double-digit point losses in the last seven years. You can go kind of go back on you know, over and over again. This is an Alabama team that's going to go back multiple years and only have a small number of losses by 10 or more points. And so when you think about that as the track record, even though I think I would very much tell you this is not the same kind of Alabama team this year that some of those previous teams were, yet that recent history I think still matters to me in this game game. It's one of those things where, hey, I may be pleasantly surprised on Saturday. Maybe Georgia does win this game by 14 or 17 points or something like that. Maybe that is the direction all this is heading. But I'm going to have enough respect for the game. I'm going to have enough respect for the opponent to assume that based on the recent track record for Georgia, based on the recent track record for Alabama, that if Georgia wins this game, it's probably going to be a hard fought game to do so. It's probably going to be a game that's a little closer there at the the end. And what that ends up meaning is well then everything in the game every moment in the game is going to be just a little bit more magnified that's true but i still think that you can kind of lean on what has made georgia better all season long that the longer a close game goes the more the more dominant defense, the more efficient offense, the more those things do start to show up and start to matter. That over the course of 60 minutes, you hope the better team does truly emerge and I think that's the pathway for Georgia. But the notion of ah man, it's going to be easy, Georgia going to win this game by, you know, three or four touchdowns. You know, that's a level of <laughs> cloud chasing that I just <laughs> Don't feel like it'd be appropriate for me to go after here right now. Do I think that Georgia win this game? Yes, I definitely do. Am I going to pick George to win this game? Yes, I am. Am I going to tell all of you and it's going to be easy? Georgia's going to win it walking away. That's not a prediction right now I am comfortable making. I expect it to be as close as some of the recent Alabama losses have been. History seems to be kind of on the side of that pick there right now. And that is around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And listen, as we head towards the holiday time of year, obviously, everybody talking about you know what they're going to be doing to get ready for all those gifts that you have to buy and this is one of the things that i want you to think about here the experience of shopping for your holiday gifts made so much more convenient when you sign up for one of these visa signature and platinum cards from my friends at george's own credit union it's first of all it's an incredibly convenient thing to have because they offer lots of cool things for you like contactless payments you don't want to you know uh, come in contact with anybody while you make your payment that's what george's own credit union can provide for you with the visa signature and platinum cards they also have incredible incentives for you there as well i'm talking about you get a chance to earn cash back you get a chance to uh get some merchandise you get all these cool things as a, an extra incentive when you get your visa signature and platinum card so make sure you check that out today find out about some restrictions that apply but also uh apply for your card today check out george's for a lot more on that georgesown.org for a lot more on that around the doghouse presented today to you by our friends at george's own credit union all right it was an incredibly busy day from a news standpoint yesterday we'll touch on a lot of this here coming up in a moment as Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame comes to LSU and I think you can make a lot of very specific statements as an offshoot of that big news yesterday so before we're done today we'll get into all of that George also gets a commitment here we're going to do some of that coming up and just a whole bunch right now as we get a Kroger fresh take from our buddy Connor Riley getting ready for the SEC championship on Saturday and glad to have you with us too and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dog insider all right kroger fresh take with connor riley here today and i know connor's got a lot to say as we get ready for the uh, sec championship coming up on saturday and I, I guess connor let me begin with you where i just was a moment ago alabama's lost some games uh, every team eventually will but alabama doesn't lose in in blowout fashion very frequently they don't lose in double digit fashion very frequently so for the Georgia fan who wants to be you know really confident on Saturday I don't know that I can kind of meet him there on that I expect Georgia to win but I also expect it to be a a hard fought game and I expect if Alabama does lose on Saturday it looks like what most of their losses have looked like over the last half decade plus do you agree with that
1: I'd love to meet the Georgia fan that doesn't that that is so confident in in this team that they don't see them losing to Alabama just given the past history within these two teams? Well, hold
0: on, let me stop you right there for a second. Um, you don't sense a
1: great deal of confidence among Georgia fans right now. The Georgia fans I talk to don't. They just really want to win the one. It, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the score is. The the, the 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 people that I know and I talk to, whether they win by a hundred or win by one, as long as they beat Alabama on Saturday, it's going to be a great day. I-
0: go ahead go ahead your show. i guess what i'm saying here about this is is i think that there are some people that have determined that the clear advantages that georgia has enjoyed all season long are in comparison to alabama are going to really bubble up and i just don't necessarily think that necessarily works its way out to the kind of thing where you know we're uh popping you know champagne bottles and smoking cigars there in the fourth quarter my guess is georgia has to fight for the full 60 in order to get the win
1: based on what you've seen because you talk about past Alabama teams what have you seen from this Alabama team that gives you the belief that this Alabama team is capable of keeping it close against this Georgia team
0: it's two names it's uh the quarterback and it's Will Anderson I think that when you have you know what I'm going to call superstar level players, I think they can bridge a lot of gaps. And if you want to start comparing the 22 guys going to be on the field the most, I think that Georgia has a huge advantage in almost every single one of those side-by-side comparisons. But if I have a guy like Anderson, I have great respect for him. If I've got a quarterback like Young, I've got uh, a lot of respect for him there too. And if I'm thinking about how Alabama can do what it needs to do to give itself a chance to win this game in the final five minutes, then to me it's about Anderson, it's about Young. And maybe you can add Jameis Williams into that there as well. And you probably should. But but it's it's that issue right there. It's it's what you do with Anderson preventing him from sacking quarterbacks or even affecting quarterbacks, uh, what you do to to prevent a lot of Bryce Young quarterback runs and creating those opportunities for deep throws to a guy like Jamison Williams. That to me is the
1: very simple recipe for Alabama keeps this game close enough so they can make a play to win it do you know how many Power Five teams have given up more sacks than Georgia has this year? Uh, how many? Zero. Yeah, they are second in the country. Only Army has given up fewer sacks, and they throw the ball a whole lot less. Uh, you know, obviously, Jamari Sawyer's status is worth watching in this game. But I've also been impressed with what I've seen from Broderick Jones, and I think Broderick Jones is the type of player that you go out and get as a recruit to play and have him ready to go in these type of games. He's gone on the road and played against Auburn. He's gone on the road and started against Tennessee. So, sure, Will Anderson is good, but I'd argue that what Will Anderson does well plays well into Broderick Jones' strength as a blocker, specifically as a pass blocker there, and... I think, and I wrote about it this morning, I think the Georgia tight ends are going to have a really big game on Saturday, both attacking vertically those linebackers and safeties for Alabama, but also in their abilities as blockers. John Fitzpatrick is a name to know this week. Obviously, Brock Paris, we understand what he can do as a pass catcher, but Darnell Washington is going to be asked to help out in the blocking game this week, and I think they can help slow that Alabama pass rush there. As far as Alabama on the offensive side, do you know how many healthy running backs Alabama has right now? Yeah, it's like
0: it's like one right now. One. right? Yeah, It, it is one. And, and, and that's a guy that's been injured a lot.
1: And Tracy sanders is that running back so if you want to uh, go back and look at that clemson game if you just want to try and throw the ball 40 times a game on offense that's going to make things really really difficult we even saw that a week ago when you know alabama had to throw the ball 51 times to win in that game and they only had 10 points at the end of regulation there so that's not a recipe for success and if you look back at those past alabama georgia games Alabama really won those games or kept it in those games because they were able to consistently run the ball. Look at twenty seven both the 2018 national title game and the 2018 SEC championship game. And even last year, in the fourth quarter of that game against, against Georgia, they were able to run the ball successfully. That's not going to happen this year. And so I do think that... Does sort of extend George's ability to make this a larger deficit.
0: The one thing I expect to happen, though, is I think that Alabama, at least in times when I've watched them this year, it seems like they were intentionally limiting Bryce Young's running plays because Alabama has no depth at the backup quarterback spot. There's no longer any need to limit that for Young because if he gets injured, they're going to lose anyway. I mean, but if you don't use him to the full extent that he can be used, I think you probably get you know you probably get beat also. So I think if they're going to really unleash Bryce Young, show what he can do from a running threat, I think a game like George, the time you do that. Because honestly, if I'm trying to game plan against this Georgia defense, I think a quarterback run probably works about as well as anything does because it gives you the extra blocker. It's, it To me, it seems easier to get away from the middle of the field, which is obviously where strength of this Georgia defense can be, especially when the big guy is in there. Um, so if I'm, you know, kind of imagining my own game plan against this Georgia defense. I think a quarterback run, maybe even setting up the occasional deep throw with that, that's probably what I would do there. And I'm guessing that maybe Bryce Young's Alabama's best running back on Saturday. But
1: Bryce Young is not a big guy. And if they're going to try and move him and use him in a quarterback run situation, are we sure we want him doing that when you have guys like Channing Tindall, Kobe Dean, Nolan Smith, Trayvon Walker chasing him down and adding hits? given he's already going to probably take a lot of hits behind that leaky Alabama offensive line and the fact that this Georgia pass rush is the best pass rush that Alabama has seen so far this year. So they're going to have to be careful with how they use Bryce Young, especially with how much Kirby Smart has talked about him and Nick Saban. they, They use the word point guard. If you're a point guard and you're running around a whole lot out there and taking a lot of hits, Chris Paul has trouble staying healthy throughout the course of the season because he tries to drive into the paint and gets hit a lot. I think that's going to matter over the course of this game.
0: And I think we're going to find out, and I mentioned this with our video commenters yesterday, I think we're going to find out, does Bryce Young want to take these hits? Because, you know... Jalen Hurts clearly would have. You know, Hurts did not mind. He's, you know, big strong guy. You know, he didn't mind taking the uh, big hit there and that obviously allowed him to be even more effective running quarterback. You know, I think if Alabama is going to ask more from Young or if he's facing a Georgia defense that's going to pressure him more than most of the defense Alabama's seen this season, we're going to learn a lot about Bryce Young about how comfortable he even is, you know, stepping into throws when someone like Channing Tindall is breathing down his neck or extending for that extra yard uh, knowing that you're going to pay for doing so not every quarterback wants to do that i don't know if we know yet if bryce young wants to do that but on saturday we're
1: probably going to find out and you want to point to the last two times these two teams met in mercedes-benz stadium Georgia had a great plan for their starting quarterbacks in both of those games. They kept Jalen Hurts from hurting them as a runner in the national title game, and they really limited what Tua Tagovailoa was able to do in that SEC championship game. Unfortunately, they flipped both those quarterbacks in, in their respective games, and I do think that made a big difference there. Alabama, If Alabama has to turn to Paul Tyson or uh, Jalen Milroe they're in a lot of trouble in this game. And so because of that, I think they're going to have to be careful with how they want to use Bryce Young as a runner in this game.
0: You mentioned uh, Brock Bowers. I also talked briefly about this yesterday. You know, you look at Bowers from the beginning of the season – obviously a huge target in the Clemson game and that really set the stage for everything that was going to happen after that but he had no catches in the Arkansas game and I'm not smart enough to know if that was because Georgia just knew it could run the ball that day against a Arkansas defense that didn't have a lot going on up front or if Barry Odom a smart defensive coordinator kind of took Bowers out of the game plan for UG there that day I'd love to hear from somebody um, who would you know say one way or the other but I do think it does kind of shine a light on Saturday a little bit too you know Bowers against Georgia Tech reminds you that he is just UGA's most effective pass-catching weapon. I think he's uh, about the most effective pass-catching weapon that has existed in the smart era, with apologies to maybe George Pickens going back to 2019 here. For a moment. That's how good I think Brock Bowers is right now. But if I know that, Alabama also knows that there as well. And can Georgia still get the ball to Bowers on Saturday if that's what Alabama tries to key and take away? We're talking about playing left-handed, right-handed, doing something that makes you uncomfortable. Can Georgia find a way to get the ball to Bowers or does it have a counter punch in mind if Alabama does try to eliminate him as a weapon
1: yeah as far as the Arkansas game Georgia only had 11 pass attempts in that game and they were up 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter they didn't need to throw the ball a whole lot there in that game and if Alabama's going to play the same coverage that Arkansas did Georgia's going to be content to run the ball for five yards a carry and sort of salt the game away that way I do think this passing offense I mean this is the healthiest this wide receiver group has looked all season and you've got a number of different options. Jermaine Burton was a guy they targeted a lot last year when they played at Alabama, and while he didn't have a great game in particular, he did find some success there that day. I look for him to be a guy that is going to have an impact on this game. I am glad McConkey, especially with the injury to Kiaris Jackson, I think Lad McConkey is a guy who can take advantage of Alabama there in the middle of the field. That seems to be where this weakness is with this Alabama secondary, and I Look, I'd point out, Zach Calzada did not have a very good year statistically. He had the game of his life against Alabama. K.J. Jefferson couldn't do anything against this Georgia defense. He threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns against Alabama two weeks ago in Tuscaloosa. This Alabama passing off defense has shown that it is is susceptible to not just good performances from quarterbacks that are just okay. They've had all-time great performances for those relative players. So would I be surprised if Stetson Benoit went out there? and played a very, very good game against what is a very suspect Alabama pass defense, I would not.
0: Do you agree with what I said at the top of the program? I don't think Nick Saban likes his team very much.
1: I think he's learning. I, I think he knows he doesn't have the same quality of team in recent years and is trying to perhaps enjoy this and enjoy the smaller victories a little bit more than some of the you know past Alabama teams where he knows it's national championship or, or not there for Alabama. I, I think he knows, hey, you know, it's still worth celebrating the – you know, getting to an SEC championship game, getting through the regular season 11 and 1. And I think maybe he even recognizes a little bit the destruction that he has waylaid to college football by solely so focusing on uh, SEC cha- or national championships in that fact. I think the way that the SEC is now, where Ed O'Gron gets fired not even two years after winning a national title, where Dan Mullen is out less than 12 months after winning the SEC East, maybe he recognizes that that's not and he's a the I think the single biggest reason why those two men are no longer employed at LSU in Florida that that kind of mindset having it all the time is incredibly toxic and I think that even stems from the rant he sort of went on last week on his uh, coach's call-in show that if you're like that all the time it can be so draining and exhausting when you don't happen to have the best team in the country which I think we can say Georgia is this season so maybe he's changing up his tactics and the way he is viewing things going forward.
0: By comparison I think that Kirby Smart is loving coaching this team and there are a lot of examples of that uh, I think that he sees them responding to everything Thing that he's pushed them to do, and I also think he sees a team that really—it's one of the reasons why we've done the hashtag JDNYC thing so much, because you know Davis stands as the embodiment of all this. But it's a team that has totally, I would say, bought into the team concept, and they've bought into the idea. I mean, Smart said this what well, last week, the strength of the team is the team. Uh, that's not hollow words in this particular case. I, I believe that it's true, and it's one of the things that I've been pushing Georgia fans to notice right now. There is so much with this team, those of us that care about Georgia football, there's so much with this team that we're not privy to. But body language oftentimes is not going to lie to you. When you see the body language around Smart, the guy who is privy to it all, who is behind closed doors, you should take his lead on this and you should as a fan try to have as much fun with this team as smart himself seems to be having because i can promise you it is not always this way you coach long enough you're gonna have teams you like and have teams you don't has smart had teams in the past that maybe he didn't like i I don't know i'll I'll reserve judgment on on saying that publicly but in in terms of uh what's happening with this team right now no doubt i believe that smart loves this team at the moment
1: it's really strong leadership uh rivals maybe even potentially surpasses the leadership we saw in that 2017 team and smart has said time and time again it comes from the players guys like Jordan Davis Stetson Bennett Jamari Sawyer uh, Nolan Smith N'Kobe Dean those guys understand this team and and know that it's sort of like those old Miami teams in in the early 2000s and the way they talked about it, it said yeah you know Larry Coker wasn't a great coach but we knew we were playing for each other and playing for a bigger cause and I think the this Georgia team and these Georgia players have that same sort of mindset knowing that hey you know it's great that we have a great defensive coach in Kirby Smart it's great that we have a very overqualified college offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin but we know at the end of the day we're the ones out there making plays we're the ones holding everyone else accountable and if we do our jobs it mitigates what these coaches have to do and that's going to make winning on Saturdays a lot lot easier.
0: And here's the other thing I think you got to mention here and I'll try to be succinct about this is that I think that small differences can make a big impact Like a lot of people look at Georgia right now and say, oh, well, this is the same version of Georgia we've become used to seeing under Kirby Smart. You know, really good on defense, good enough on offense, and that's the recipe that Georgia's going to try to use here. But what you miss by that is is how much the defense actually evolved in the last couple of years. You know, Georgia now is the kind of aggressive defense, you know, going over 40-plus sacks against Georgia Tech on Saturday. That's after 12 games, more sacks they've ever had, including a 15-game season back in uh, 2017. Similarly on offense, you know, you can say well this is still a team more led by defense and it's offense and that's probably true but Georgia's also knocking the door of about 40 points per game that it's averaging right now that's a small improvement over over recent years that i think speaks to offensive growth to go along with a more impactful defense that the overall sketch caricature of georgia football is still somewhat similar really good on defense good enough offensively but it's way better defensively even it was a couple of years ago and it's magnitudes better offensively than it was there uh, as well the profile looks the same but the specific details on both sides of the ball are so improved. I don't know that the person that doesn't live and die with Georgia football. I don't know if they're quite so aware of just how true that really is.
1: Yeah, I've got a story coming on Thursday just about how much how different this Georgia team is from the last time they were in the SEC championship game and they lost by twenty seven LSU and kind of that LSU team, one of the great teams of all time. I feel comfortable saying that. But this Georgia team is so much more modern and playing a much more twenty twenty style football style of football than say. Those 2017, 2018, and 2019 teams were which you're playing. And the game of college football has changed so much in that time, you need to be able to pressure the quarterback. The only teams that have more sacks this season are Oklahoma State, Pitt, and Alabama, and in two of those, three of those top four teams are all contending for playoffs. Georgia, I believe, averaging over seven yards per play. They are explosive in the passing game, even with the myriad of injuries they've had at the wide receiver position. You've shown that they're able to hit big plays in the running game as the season has progressed there. They are doing things that – while it's a little different from what we've seen from Alabama and what we have seen from LSU in recent recent national championship seasons, they're doing enough their way while also still adhering to some of the modern principles that we all, I think, now acknowledge that you need to have to win a national championship.
0: All right, very quickly, do you see a team other than Alabama that has any chance of threatening Georgia at all right now?
1: I think if Michigan can pull – Michigan's really interesting because – The one game where Georgia has struggled this year was that Clemson game, or at least it was a close game. And if you're a talented enough defense to pull the Georgia offense down into the muck, I think you can have a close game and find enough ways to win it. Now, Michigan's going to have to throw the ball much better than they did against Ohio State because they're not going to run for six yards a carry against this Georgia front. But Cincinnati doesn't scare me. Oklahoma State, I watched all of that Bedlam game. It's great that they won it if that Oklahoma team was more serious and maybe if Lincoln Riley didn't have his mind elsewhere during that game, Oklahoma probably should have won that game. They also got
0: job by the officials a little bit too.
1: Yeah. And and, and at the same point in time, that offense scored zero points in the second half of that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Notre Dame, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know how you have them as a playoff team at this point, just given what Brian Kelly just did. Right. You know, so.
0: I'll also add this to what you're saying. I had, at one point thought you know the, the tough game for Georgia that's out there is Ohio State now the Buckeyes are seemingly eliminated but watching what Michigan did to Ohio State and I realized it was on the road and in the snow I realized that but all of a sudden now I'm starting to rethink what have Ohio State even been a tough game for Georgia given the mm-hmm. fact that Michigan beat them doing a lot of the
1: same things that Georgia would have done exactly and so you saw the pressure that they had in that game like Michigan it'd be an interesting sort of style of fight but at the same point in time there's not a team as talented as Alabama among those other three playoff contenders at this point in time
0: all right let's do a couple things here very very quick it's a Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley here right now I want to kind of bounce through uh some of this with you for a moment so Georgia does get a commitment yesterday and I don't want to lose sight of this Sean Washington defensive lineman out of the state of Louisiana it's a name that's been kind of on the I guess horizon here for a little while you got any thoughts on Georgia adding uh this to the fold
1: yeah Georgia dipping back into New Orleans dipping back into Louisiana I'm gonna be really interested to see how Georgia continues to recruit the state of Louisiana because they've done a pretty good job of that in recent seasons and obviously have guys that have ties to that area Cortez Hankton Scott Cochran but Florida hiring Billy Napier is going to make I think Florida more of a factor in the state of Louisiana and then today uh, or last night today it gets officially announced today Brian Kelly getting hired at LSU I'm going to be really interested to see how that does because actually sneakily you know for all we say Notre Dame isn't they were a top five recruiting team in this 2022 recruiting cycle. They were starting to get more, maybe not necessarily the top 100 guys, but guys in that 100 to 200 range that are still really good yeah. players and more often than not developing a good players. you think of a guy like a Brock Bowers, a Chaining Tindall in that range. So I'm going to be really interested in how they go out and continue to recruit that defensive line is pretty clearly an issue that Georgia has targeted and really gone after in this cycle. Uh, given now they have Michael Williams, Big Bear Alexander, Tyree West at the moment and then Sean Washington as well Yeah, I
0: think the Tyree West thing is what I think it's interesting for a lot of people and I totally acknowledge there's been tons of online chatter about this that's yeah that's a, a part of this discussion but Washington's presence what that means for West I think that's going to lead a lot of people to ask some questions All
1: right and then you also have Christian Miller out there as well from Cedar Grove High School a guy that Georgia has been very connected to in the recruiting process so it's interesting a lot of moving parts there for Georgia on the defensive line but with Washington, with, with Williams and Alexander, who are now comfortably in this class, and if you add a Miller, even if, if you do lose a West, that's an awesome signing class for Trey Scott, who, even though they seem sure. to lose a lot on the defensive line this year, that's about as good a job you can do as really. And one
0: more quick thing on this, and I mean this as sincerely as one can even though georgia like recruits in the deepest waters of them all there's not a georgia fan left anymore that will flinch when this team signs a three-star prospect but because so many of them have turned out to be yep. so good uh, whether it be the receiver guys or you know obviously jordan davis maybe the highest I- example of this at all that if, if georgia's targeting a guy that really is all you need to know and i know that, that kind of thing has been used as propaganda before of all oh, the coaches really like this guy you know like i realize that's like the lamest message board propaganda you've ever heard in your life but in the case of georgia it really has turned out to be true more often than right. not and
1: you look at some of those guys. Adonai Mitchell contributed early. Jordan Davis and Eric Stokes were both contributing early yep. in their times at Georgia. Lad McConkey uh, this season as well. There, so it's not just that they're identifying these guys and their long term developments. A lot of these guys have shown they're able to play right now and play right away. Another a, a name I want to throw out there that's having a really great season and you got a chance to see him earlier this year. Cole Spear. You yeah, know, that guy is a player. He's got a good body size. It, it would not. And while I know Georgia wants fans, they want the four stars. They want the high five star guys out there. I think with what you've seen from this Georgia passing offense and what they've been able to get out of lower-ranked guys, I think you have to trust what they see and what they evaluate in wide receivers. I don't
0: mind telling you that my thought about Spear would have been way different at one point in time. In in the past, I'm just gonna be completely honest with you about that I probably wouldn't have thought much about him one way or another but because Georgia has had success with somewhat you know below the you know the highest level of recruit guys like that have performed on the program I was more willing to consider him and when I saw him play in person for Calhoun earlier this year I mean this is a really really good athlete he runs really well you could absolutely see him fitting in in the SEC if Georgia's targeting a guy like this he can probably play regardless of what the recruiting ranking would say about that that's a really good name to mention in a conversation like that by the way it's our our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here right now. And Kroger is excited to offer Boost, which offers you more savings, more benefits, and a new level of membership with our friends at Kroger. You can enjoy free grocery gl- uh, delivery, twice the fuel points, and special offers there as well. It's as little as $59 a year. So check out Kroger.com boost to enroll today. That website, once again, Kroger.com slash boost, and you can enroll today. I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, Connor, but I'll give you a chance to weigh in on the big news from yesterday, capping off what might be the crazy... Craziest week we've ever seen in college football and i don't say that lightly uh, brian kelly taking what we assume is going to be a gigantic contract to leave notre dame to go to lsu what do you make of all of this
1: yeah 10 years 95 million dollars is what has been uh, put out by lsu incentives are going to push that end up over a hundred million dollars and going back and reading some of the recent comments and, and picking through it, Brian Kelly was talking a lot about money, about figures, about wanting to improve facilities. And so my sort of reading of the green here is that, and Kelly, you know, for everyone who wants to bash Notre Dame, Notre Dame has been one of the more dependable programs of the past in the college football playoff era. They are a, a Georgia win and either a Michigan-Cincinnati or, Bay, or a Oklahoma State loss from theoretically getting back into the playoff for a third time he's done everything but win a national championship and i think he senses that lsu hey the last three head coaches have won a national championship you know I, i can go there and that's a place i can contend and he's shown he's able to recruit well enough there to do so obviously it sucks that he may have very well just cost notre dame a chance at the college football playoff because i don't know how the committee would feel about putting in a notre dame team with an interim coach in there but Notre Dame, it sounded like Kelly wasn't getting the assurances. They stopped saying yes. And one of the things that I think you really have to credit Georgia for is that when Kirby Smart came in, they have had an open checkbook and they have said yes to everything. And to win in the modern college football era, more so than players, more so than recruits, more so than coaches, you need an administration that is committed to saying yes and getting you everything you need to win and I think maybe Brian Kelly had sort of felt that he wasn't getting that at Notre Dame any longer and felt that LSU has shown time and time again they are willing to do just that.
0: Yeah Connor it's fascinating stuff and I, I mean listen as an SEC fan it's fun to watch all of this and as a Georgia fan it's kind of fun to know that you're not really a part of that hysteria right now but it's entertaining nonetheless we appreciate you being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take here today and look forward to reading as you said a lot more good stuff coming at uh, dognation.com and we'll see you Thursday. Chase the championship live at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven that's going to be Fun too.
1: Yep, looking forward to it. As always, a pleasure, BA. Let's take a look around
0: the rest of the league. This is SEC through. Yeah, so we're
1: going to talk a lot about the Brian Kelly situation. There are a
0: lot of offshoots about that as we go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. In fact, let me remind you, with our friends at Royal Caribbean, You know the cruise dog nation cruise is on sale right now so went on sale for the first time yesterday independence of the seas leaving out of port canaveral april 25th is the sale date going to be checking out nassau perfect day coco K. as said before the great ship which is uh independence of the seas this is going to be an incredible time and obviously for something this big this much fun uh the time to kind of get ready for that is right now so on sale your uh, cruise vacations on sale right now just go to dognation.com and right there at the top there's a link that you can use to get to where you need to go for this we really encourage you to go ahead and get all this booked right now i'm going to be there mike griffith's going to be there jeff Santel's going to be there the possibility we have special guests are going to be there we're going to have special dog nation only events for it but the cruise itself is just going to be amazing independence of the seas nassau bahamas perfect day coco K. you've heard me talk a lot about that this is going to be the biggest thing the dog nation's ever done we wanted to do that here for the upcoming year and we get a chance to do this so please check out dognation.com many of you've already said you plan on being there with us for that i can't wait to just kind of relax and finally enjoy a little bit of vacation the fall is always so tough and challenging i love every minute of it but you burn the candle at both ends so when it's over with you need some sort of relaxation you need some sort of rest you need some sort of Vacation to recharge the batteries. And the fact we get to all do that together on Independence of the Seas with our friends at Royal Caribbean makes that even better. So make sure you check that out today. So there is a lot to be said about Brian Kelly going to to, uh, LSU. And I'm going to try to work my way through all of this here for a moment right now. Um, Let's start with this. Do I think this is a good hire for LSU? I do. And let me me tell you why. And Conor Riley kind of mentioned this a moment ago. Like there is a clear level of achievement that uh that that notre dame's not going to be able to achieve notre dame's not going to be able to win a national championship and there's a level of recruit that notre dame can't quite get so there's a there's a level above notre dame that they really can't aspire to but if you look at the level below notre dame they are doing quite well against what's beneath them you know they got a long winning streak against unranked teams now you may roll your eyes at that but honestly it's hard to go a long time without getting unbeaten Notre Dame for the most part has been able to do that the teams they lose to yeah when they face a you know a Georgia or even a Cincinnati this year team like that yeah they, they lose those games but the other teams for the most part Notre Dame's kind of beating I think you have, that speaks to program strength it, it speaks to stability and, and Brian Kelly's going to have that there at LSU there is a baseline level of achievement that you can assume for um you know for, for Kelly there at Notre Dame it's one of the reason why when Scott Woodward the LSU athletic director has made big coaching hires it's one of the reasons why he's gone for the big names not just in football where he once hired Jimbo Fisher Texas A&M but like Kim Mulkey as a basketball coach or something like that he has just gone after the really big name because I think the the first job of an athletic director is don't hire a disaster and when you spend big bucks and approve a name you at least know you don't have a disaster now as far as the chance of winning a national championship in a very deep and competitive SEC, a lot of this is going to depend on who who kelly has on his staff with him you can spend 100 million dollars on the coach but in a place like the sec it's what you have as a coordinator especially for a guy like kelly who is going to be in a little bit of a culture shock coming to the sec louisiana is a little bit of a league apart even in that sec culture world of of its own so a lot of that's going to be a little weird for kelly who's just not used to being in a conference and not used to a lot of those kinds of things so his staff is going to matter here but this is clearly a big time hire for lsu I think you can also look at Kelly in comparison to Lincoln Riley. There's no doubt that Lincoln Riley ran away from the chance to go to LSU because I think he was scared of the SEC. I think it's the reason why he left Oklahoma there as well. It's just easier to go out and be a big fish in a small pond, which is what the West is right now, the far west portion of our country. He didn't want any part of that. Uh, in Brian Kelly's case, he's older. He's near the end of his career anyway. So why not go to the biggest possible place you can go, most possible resources you can deploy and try to win a national championship? I and mean, it speaks to something that Kelly has in him that, that Lincoln Riley just doesn't have. And I think it's, it's fair to point out that Lincoln Riley ran from the chance to play the sport at the highest level. And Brian Kelly did not do that. The other point that I've kind of made here is, you know, Florida hires Billy Napier and it's just completely been engulfed by this news whether it be initially lincoln riley taking the usc job or now brian kelly coming into the sec and if you're a florida fan deep down you have to know that your program just doesn't play at this level whether they didn't want to spend the kind of money that would be required to bring in a lincoln riley or or brian kelly or they couldn't attract that kind of name right now or how about the fact of this you know Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame to go to LSU right now, even though that Notre Dame's got a chance to make the college football playoff. He still turned tail and run. Florida couldn't even get Billy Napier to leave Louisiana before the Sun Belt championship game. I mean, that's the difference in the programs right now. LSU not only swung big, got the big coach, but they took him away from a chase for the college football playoff. Florida can't even convince Napier to leave the Sun Belt title game. That's a remarkable difference right now. Now, a few other things I want to say about this. It's obviously a little disappointing that in the very least, Kelly's leaving before the playoff. If Notre Dame were to hire uh 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 Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach, there's a chance that Fickle would also leave Cincinnati to start working, you know, at Notre Dame. That's obviously disappointing, but I think it tells you two things. I think it tells you that let's just deal with the one thing we know is true, that, that Kelly leaves Uh, Notre Dame to go to LSU it tells you that Kelly is aware of what we're all aware of is that Notre Dame was never winning the national championship and if they were going to win the national championship not only is Kelly maybe not leaving early for the LSU job he may not even be leaving for LSU at all this just sort of speaks to The theater that exists around the college football playoff that the sport pretends that there are teams alive for a national championship that aren't truly alive for the national title, and they are given these token playoff spots at the expense of the SEC. And more than once, that's probably been at the expense of Georgia. But in reality those are not legitimate national championship contenders and every time we see notre dame matched up in a college ball playoff situation against a team that is going to to win the national title notre dame gets embarrassed every single time that's just factually true brian kelly knows it that's why he's leaving but here's the other thing that's going to get brought up or at least i think it should be brought up i haven't heard anyone else say this as of yet. all of this is motivated by the early signing period We can change that. In other words, if the early signing period is creating this situation where the postseason is devalued because if you're moving to a new job, you can't afford to finish your old job, then we ought to look closely and say, well, is the early signing period really working out for college football? And I'm not saying this reason alone is enough to change it, but this reason may be enough of a reason to consider, is the early signing period working out for anybody? I mean, is it? Do the, are the players themselves happier because of this? Because the way this was initially sold was the guys that don't want the recruiting drama can go ahead and sign in December and we'll leave February for all the guys that do want that. But for the most part, the recruiting drama has just been moved up to December. We've taken what used to happen in February. For the most part, now all of that happens in December. So the initial plan of the early signing period hasn't quite worked out the way that it was supposed to. And if it's creating this scenario now where there's panic when you have to hire a new coach, then maybe we ought to consider the early signing period. And, like, you know, I guess I'll kind of finish with this on this point. Everyone's going to make a big deal about all the money these coaches make. And you know the way in which they're moving around from jobs and you know this just kind of creates that same there's there are these radical forces that exist within the world of college football a lot of this is in the media and this just makes them very uncomfortable but the fact of the matter is there are a group of coaches at the highest end of the sport the hierarchy the top end of that hierarchy and they are just worth a lot of money. Their presence changes the fortunes of a college football program in the way that an individual player just can't do. We do live in the NIL NIL era now. You know, players do have a chance to make money off their name, image, and likeness, but one player is not worth the same thing that the top coach is worth. That may not seem fair and that may not be pleasant to to acknowledge but it is true that when you hire a great coach he is worth almost whatever money you could pay to get him to come to your job he has a chance to um to change the fortune of the program that much they don't all work out but but when they do they work out to a a really high level let me also i guess say this real quickly um so Mike Bobo is also out at Auburn that's a story worth watching offensive coordinator gone from there and you know I'll mention this that uh Jayden Hazelwood the former UJ commit obviously a name we've talked about a gazillion times he is now in the transfer portal don't know what this means I'd be certainly very curious to see. He's obviously a big time player and like a lot of big time players in Oklahoma now looking for a new home. So we'll certainly file that away and we'll be paying very, very close attention to that. And for now, we'll make that your SEC through. Also here on Dog Nation Daily, let me give a couple shout outs here for a moment. Hope all of you are uh, doing really well on the program today. I told you about our friends at Classic City Lager a little earlier. Uh, don't forget, they're going to be with us this Thursday at Marlowe's and Brookhaven. So if you've been waiting to try. Some classic city lager here with us at Marlow's and Brookhaven on Thursday. You get a chance to do that. You'll find out what I've been saying. It's a lager style beer, but there's no sacrifice in flavor. This is a craft style lager. It's great, great stuff. It's from our friends at Creature Comforts Brewing Company. I love Athens. I love Creature Comforts because it reminds me of Athens. But you don't have to be in Athens to get some Creature Comforts a Brewing Company. Some classic city lager. You can get that with us um, at Marlow's and Brookhaven there on Thursday or wherever you're doing your shopping. It's available in six and twelve pack cans. You can pick yourself up some classic city lager today and. I I know you'll enjoy that. Let me also talk about my friends at Marco's Pizza here for a moment there, too. How about a great deal from them right now? A large bundle of a one topping pizza, a pizza bowl, cheesy bread, all just $21.99. That's great savings on Marco's Pizza. It's also great flavor uh, there as well perfect crust, baked golden brown every time, three melted cheeses on top, those old world authentic toppings on top of that there as well. We love the great taste of Marco's pizza around here, and you will love it there too. Find out that bundle that includes a large one-topping pizza, pizza bowl, cheesy bread, just $21.99, Marco's app, or marcos.com for a lot more on all of that. And as we wrap up here today, you know, one of the things we've done for our golden shoe a lot in recent weeks, you've given me your hashtag JD to NYCs. Well, don't forget, as – we're getting ready to roll through here you got your chance right now with the nissan heisman house to make your vote for jordan davis for the heisman trophy a lot of you have sent this there to me so we're going to make sure that we push that really hard and we're going to get uh jd a little support here towards the end of the season hopefully against the uh alabama crimson Tide on saturday davis also takes another big step there himself showing why he is one of the top players in the country but in honor of our golden shoe submissions which so many of those have been davis related there as of late don't forget to go and do your voting for jordan davis we're going to push that really hard in the days to come. We're going to see if we can get Jordan Davis where he belongs in New York City as a Heisman finalist. That'll be a fun thing to be able to do. Also, Gator Hater countdown just 333 days from now. Brand-new coach, but same old result. Dogs on top in Jacksonville. We'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, I'm now at the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take you your comments here at dognation.com and on... Twitter, as we talk about everything going on with UGA, Adam Culpepper wrote in on Twitter about whether Georgia would choose Miami or Dallas as its playoff location, assuming it's the one seed and has the opportunity to do that. And one of the things that's been kind of kicked around a pretty good bit is the fact that from a distance standpoint, Miami and Dallas aren't very different. You know, Miami's farther away than me, you might realize, way down there in the southern tip of Florida. And, you know, Dallas, you know, pretty reasonable plane flight trying to get there so it's not one of those things where you would like in 2017 when you know new orleans and and pasadena were the two choices as fun as the rose Bowl was it's a lot farther away from from athens than than new orleans would have been had georgia had the choice there at that you know particular time so the the dallas miami thing it's not obvious who which location georgia would want to go to at least at face value. Obviously, if you're playing like a big 12 champion in Dallas, you might not want to do that. There aren't tons of Oklahoma State fans, to be honest with you. So that might not be as much of a consideration this time around. Like the one thing that did come to my mind on this, though. So the players would definitely rather be in Miami for a million reasons. And so the thing you're left to consider is, well, is that a reason you definitely would want to be in Miami or a reason you definitely would not want to be in Miami? Like in L.A., for the Rose Bowl the way that worked was is for the first few nights the players for the most part I think were on their own Georgia was in kind of one of those downtown LA hotels and players had a lot of free time there in the evening then the final couple of nights maybe you know like the last two nights prior to the game that's when Georgia moved to a different hotel I'm honestly not sure where that was but I believe it was a lot closer to Pasadena that Georgia for the most part let those guys have a lot of free time I think that's pretty standard for these bowl games a lot of free time earlier in the week and they were staying out late they were doing things like that not anything bad just you know you'd see georgia player you know late at night uh sometimes because they had the free time to be able to do that but as you got close to the game the more locked down it became georgia left the hustle and bustle of all the georgia fans in downtown la and got a little closer to the action and a lot more zeroed in on what the game itself was supposed to be so you know, there's a million more distractions with the, with the social scene in Miami compared to Dallas, but it's also a pretty good recruiting tool of, hey, look how much fun our players are having at the, Rose, at, the uh, at at the the Orange Bowl right now. Uh, the other thing, and I'll call on my experience being in Pasadena for the Rose Bowl that comes to mind here is when the Super Bowl was in Dallas a couple of years ago, there was an ice storm. And it can be cold in Dallas in the wintertime in a way that it's almost never really truly cold in Miami. And a big part of the bowl week, because the playoff game is still a bowl the national championship game is kind of a game but the playoff semifinal is kind of a bowl there's a lot of stuff during the week to get ready you know a lot of obligations you know some of it's fun some of it's media related but, but there's a lot of obligations to get ready for all that kind of stuff and one of the things that was talked about in past pasadena like the, the tournament of roses committees is a very serious group of people it's a little bit like augusta national you got a lot of people who take their job very seriously and i like you know augusta national but you know what i'm saying and so one of the things was talked about how that week was, is that Georgia was on time for everything, and Oklahoma wasn't on time for anything. In fact, one of the big dinners that was going on uh, the week of the Rose Bowl the, back in 2017, Oklahoma was very late for it. It was controversial, no, not controversial to to fans or people like that, but like the people of the Tournament of Roses Committee, they were very just. They were aghast that Oklahoma would be late for one of these dinners, and so that's just part of the job. And so for Kirby, who likes everything, you know, buttoned up and all, all that kind of stuff, the way in which you travel from, you know, place to place could be impacted if there's any kind of winter weather whatsoever. Now, probably long shot that's even the case, but but when you think about that bowl game, you're thinking about more than just the actual 60 minutes the game's being played. You're thinking about all the things that go on in the time leading up to that, giving your players some chance for fun, but but obviously finding a way to get the practices taken care of there as well, get your preparation. It's a really hard thing. I mean, as I said before, to be in LA for that full week of the Rose Bowl You realize it's the most important football game that Georgia's played in decades, and yet there's all this crazy stuff going on around the game. So will ultimately Georgia choose Miami or Dallas? I guess I don't know, but there's a lot to consider about why you would choose one over the other, especially if geography isn't that big of an issue one way or another do you want the fun night life or do you want to avoid the fun night life <laughs> I guess we'll find out if Georgia wins this game on Saturday a couple other comments I want to get to as well this from dognation.com in our comment section of course we post the show each and every day at dognation.com our buddy Jim Dog 85 writes in to say hey B.A. I'm hoping that Auburn returned the favor to Alabama that the Tide did to them back in 2017 if you recall that season Auburn won the Iron Bowl but it came at quite a cost It was a real slobber knocker of a game. Great Jim Ross reference. And the Tigers came out of it with their running back injured and their whole team tired and bruised. He says earlier that season, the Tigers had beaten Georgia soundly at Auburn with Gus famously being caught on camera talking about beating the dog uh, squeeze out of us. He says, however, it was uh, a different story once we got to Atlanta. Auburn was not the same team that had beaten us only a few weeks before. After the emotional victory over the Tide, while close at first, the Dogs went on to win the SEC championship game with Swift uh, breaking a late touchdown to, to seal the game. That's an interesting comparison. That that Auburn did get beat up pretty bad in that Iron Bowl that it won in 2017, earned the right to play Georgia because of that, but you know lost Carry Johnson and lost you know lost, at least in terms of being fully healthy. And maybe they did return the favor to Alabama for that this past week. It kind of reminds me, so in 1991, the Braves won the National League West because the final series of the season, the hated rival of the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, beat them in a series to knock them out of the postseason. And then in 1993, when the Braves won 104 games, the Giants won 103 games, but the Braves won the division that year, sweeping Colorado in the final weekend of the season, while the Dodgers returned the favor to San Francisco of knocking them out of the postseason. So twice in three years, same result, different team each time. Giants beat the Dodgers, Braves benefited. Two years later, Dodgers beat the Giants. Once again, Braves benefited. So maybe you'd have some situation kind of like that, for those of you who are old enough to remember those early 90s Braves teams. But I mean. There's no question that if just at simple face value Alabama having to play tough games late in the season is a disadvantage compared to Georgia who did not have to do the same thing. There's just no question about that. Also in yesterday's show we talked about the fact that it seems to me that Nick Saban would rather be coaching Georgia on Saturday than coaching Alabama and uh, D. Davis Uh, 0777 writes in to say it's funny that you say that about Saban wishing he was coaching this defense on Saturday I was watching the Iron Bowl with my family Saturday my mom who's a UGA fan but remarried to a lifelong Bama fan said in overtime where is this Alabama defense they had a few years ago I responded that Kirby packed it up and took it to Athens that's a great line Uh, his mom's reply (laughs) she said you can be uh uh, sure that Saban's going to be missing uh Kirby this week yeah, I think that's pretty uh, well said. Your mom, a wise lady there on that, and I think that is part of the subplot of this game, that it is fairly obvious that what used to exist in Alabama from a defensive standpoint does now exist in Athens, and obviously Georgia's hopeful to utilize that to its advantage to win this game there on Saturday. Great comments. part of our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Appreciate you sharing them with us. Of course, you can find R.S. Andrews online rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. We appreciate you being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia as well, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here again tomorrow.